Hello, my name is Hassan Sorrells, and this is the Leadership Lessons from the Great Books podcast bonus. There's no book reading on bonus episodes. These are interviews, rants, raves, insights, and other gentle and maybe even fractious audio musings and conversations about leadership with interesting people. Because listening to me and an interesting guest talk about leadership for a couple of hours or maybe an hour or for however long we're going to be talking is better than reading and trying to understand yet another business book. Even mine. The irony is not lost on me. Many years ago, in a different world, I used to tell managers and supervisors that I would be training in leadership development when they would kind of ask me about what the future of work was going to look like. I would tell them the future is coming regardless of how we feel about it. Well, in the world that we now live in, in 2022 or 2023 or 2024 or wherever you or whenever you will be listening to this, uh, the future is here right now, today. The future we thought of is here right now, today. And our workplaces really aren't going anywhere. They're shifting and changing. They are morphing and transforming. They are metamorphosizing into something that doesn't resembles less what Henry Ford envisioned and probably resembles a little bit closer to what Ray Kurzweil envisions. But our workplaces aren't going anywhere. And so because there is no better way for humans to build a better world or to accomplish goals that matter, well, we're always going to have this thing that we frame called work. Work brings focus. Work brings camaraderie. Work encourages relationships to build and ideas to spread. And so, because the future of work is about all those things, even an AI-driven, algorithmically, artificially intelligence-modeled world, even though that world is about all of those things too. It's still also about people and, and thus it makes the world of work deeply human. And so the reason I'm talking with this guest today at the end of our month long conversation around the U S state papers of the declaration of independence, the U S constitution, the federalist papers, and the anti-federalist papers is that we need to face the future here in America. And I can't really speak to a global context, although I would love to about this because there are global trends. And yes, the United States does exist as a nation state within a community of nation states, but we're gonna keep this very narrow here for the purposes of our conversation today because we need to face the future here in the US and prepare for the world of work in an intentional and heads up manner as leaders. And fundamentally, you know, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, I want leaders to be intentional, uh, be aware and be alert to all of the arguments, both for and against movements, advocacy and the research around the future of work, no matter where that work may happen to happen. And so we've invited to the Leadership Lessons from the Great Books podcast for our bonus episode this month, the culture... Uh, leadership, talent organization, and change consultant, executive coach, and I would be remiss if I did not add this on author, speaker, and advisor to executives and boards. And if you go and look at her LinkedIn profile, she's been featured in Inc. I've never been featured in Inc. 
I'm not resentful about it at all. But she's been featured in Hank. It's been, it's been awesome. It's been a good time for her. Uh, the great Karen Jaw Madsen. Welcome to the podcast, Karen. Well, thanks for having me. This is long overdue, as you know. So it I'm is. very excited about this conversation today. <laughs> so I kind of gave everybody your LinkedIn profile thing. And we'll, of course, have the links for you to be able to connect with Karen in the doodly do player below our conversation on all the major podcast platforms where you get your this podcast at or your podcasts at but i want you to tell everyone karen who are you for our listeners who are you and what is it that you do exactly in your own words rather than my rather than my words well thank you so much for for letting me uh, speak actually this whole conversation i'm i'm very grateful for i'll say that up front little bit about me. Um, you know, I'm the principal of my own firm. It's called Co-Design of Work Experience. I'm an author. Uh, I started with Culture Your Culture, Innovating Experiences at Work. I'm the founder of a future of work platform called A New HR. That's more of a side passion project. Um, and as you mentioned, I do executive coaching and I also teach part-time at Stanford University's Continuing Studies. Um, and on top of that, I do uh, that advising, uh, particularly in the startup space, as as well as with boards and board candidates. Uh, and I occasionally invest myself. So that's uh, a lot of different buckets um, going at the same time, but I really enjoy the variety in my work. So if you were to boil down, you know, my reason for being when it comes to my work, it's really to have a positive impact. And I work primarily with decision makers to address their organizational challenges, uh, especially the things that affect business results, such as uh, me spending my time coaching and developing leadership, enabling organizations to leverage culture, diversity, and employee experience. Uh, the third bucket is optimizing talent. That's aligning people with strategy for results. And the last uh, actually cuts across everything else, but is a lot of work on its own. And that is driving change management and transformation. So that's where I spend most of my time. It's not where I spend all of my time, but that's, I think, where the main uh, buckets uh, lie. So that's that's me in a nutshell, at least on the pro professional side of things. On the personal, um, lived in a lot of different places, but grew up on the East Coast, child of immigrants, uh, became a parent uh, later than most, I should say. It's been quite a journey. Uh, and I've lived overseas as well. Um, so I, you know, fancy myself having a little bit of a, a, a global view on things just because I have a lot of people I care about around the world. And um, I really believe that there's, um, intersections and bridges that we can build at those intersections that are that still remain to be done so that's kind of where i where i spend my time where i stand is at the intersection of many different elements and aspects of my life so that's me in well, a nutshell <laughs> <laughs> a lot of different overlapping things inside Absolutely. of that nutshell so let's uh Absolutely. let's uh crack that nut and let's pull some things out of there and, and see what we can talk about here today um, <clears throat> so at this stage in July of 2022, and this will of course date and timestamp this podcast, which is fine for the purposes of our conversation here. Um, we are on the cusp of a recession, 
uh, or we are already in the beginnings of it. Um, we have a work population that is living out in real terms, both quiet and quite loud in public on social media, uh, the idea of take this job and shove it. No, really. I mean, this is, this is quite frankly, fundamentally what's happening here. Um, we have large employers uh, who are being led by managers and supervisors and bosses who are of a different generation, who are literally flabbergasted and flat-footed. And I don't think that that's an exaggeration at all. Um, I also believe fundamentally that a lot of these kinds of dynamics were already in the culture and already evident in the culture pre-COVID. And what COVID did was it, as I always say, poured accelerant um, and accelerated trends that were already um, showing up and occurring. So that's a big introduction to what will fundamentally be a small question. With all these dynamics around, you're clearly very busy or... I mean, everyone would like to be busier, right? <laughs> but um, you're clearly very busy. What are the biggest challenges you are seeing inside of that bucket in the world of work today that you will believe will that you believe will impact the future of work tomorrow? It's a really good question. Uh, well, I'll I'll respond to what you just said, and uh, with a one of my favorite quotes, which is, "We're perfectly designed for our current results." So. We're, okay. we're getting what we deserve in a lot of respects here. Oh. So if we want, <laughs> if we want different results, we got to do different things, right? So, okay. mm -hmm. um, and you say, you know, what are the biggest challenges today? I think uh, we get in our own way collectively, mm -hmm. our mindsets, mm -hmm. which affect our behaviors, and we create patterns that are not necessarily helpful to ourselves and our businesses and our employees and our work, you know, our 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 markets even. Um, we have created this current environment. And so we really have to get ourselves out of it. And we can do that. We can do that by learning our way out of it. Uh, but we don't always leverage our capacity to do that. So I would say uh, certainly uh, our, is our mindsets and our capacity to learn. We need to lean into those, uh, and into our capacity to learn more than our fixed mindsets, to use a popular term these days. So those are two really big things. I think the other thing is managing complexity. Um, I think, and that maybe this ties to the fixed mindset thing. It's 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 um, oversimplifying or this reductive thinking that um, forces things like, say, bias. Right? Mm -hmm. We continue to struggle with. Um, leveraging diversity. I mentioned that as part of the work I do because there's still so much distance. To, and I've done this since the beginning of my career 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, I started out in affirmative action. I've seen this field expand and grow more complex and mature in a lot of ways, but I also can see where there's still so much more work to be done. So I'm going to sort of reveal my cards here a little bit. I wrote an entire chapter in my book, um, my most current book, 12 Rules for Leaders, the Foundation of Great book. Leadership. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. You're very kind. Um, please leave a review on Amazon. <laughs> That's for all the listeners out there and for Karen as well. Now, um, got to move units. Um, I wrote an entire chapter on, and, and, I, and you, you, you brought up diversity. I said leaders understand why most diversity training doesn't work. And... This is not a gotcha question. I fundamentally wonder 
can diversity training work for more than awareness raising if we can't even solve a conflict and I'm a conflict guy. So that's my root thing. Yes. I come out of conflict, right? Conflict yes. management, conflict management, mm -hmm. conflict management, right? If we can't even resolve a conflict about the color of toner in our copier, mm. can we really get to identity? I struggle with this massively because I've seen organizations in my time and, and you know, your mileage and my mileage both vary. We've both seen different things, right? Mm -hmm. um, and one is not better than the other. It's just framing, right? I have watched organizations fall apart, not because of identity issues, but because of small issues that got scaled up to that higher, that higher level. Cause it's not just about the color of the toner and the copier. And I'm kind of being a little bit facetious about that, but not totally. Oh, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm feeling you there. You know, <laughs> not just about the color of the toner and the copier. It's about how that color of the toner and the copier matches my identity of who I am here at work. Absolutely. And then that I'll goes connect. into a whole bunch of other, to paraphrase from a Carl Jung, that opens up a whole other box of snakes and now you're off to the races, right? Mm -hmm. you, you've scaled up something beyond where it maybe needed to be. Well, they're all connected. Like I said, those day-to-day -day interactions mm -hmm. create patterns of behavior, which guess what? Define your culture. Right. That's how it scales. And so you and I have obviously perspectives uh to answer your question is diversity training enough no it is right. one intervention mm -hmm. in a multi-pronged intervention or strategy around and it's not about fixing a problem it's being able to leverage what's great about diversity i think we haven't even gotten there yet right so thank you for uh, saying that by the way that's that's <laughs> very critical because most people stop on the fixing thing and they check the box and they run away no we just haven't we haven't been able to leverage the possibilities behind it and that's yeah. shame again shame on all of us right um and i just to plug another um mm -hmm. piece i just published an essay in the secret sauce for leading transformational change on sustainable dei because i myself has allowed frustration with the graveyard of failed DEI initiatives out there. Oh, yeah. And in just 1500 words explained why. <laughs> um, it's only 1500 words. <laughs> yes, it's a quick read. Um, the reason why is because these, these efforts lack both uh, depth and breadth mm -hmm. and, and they're not connected. Uh, we know a lot of organizations having worked in the space tend to check the box mm -hmm. and they also tend to separate um, this work from everything else, which everything is interconnected. I keep saying everything is interconnected. We are all part of these systems. And so um, so I, I, I really want to challenge people to start getting out of their current paradigms on how they understand and see DEI and I'll say B for the belonging yeah. piece. And reframe um, how they're going about this, uh, because when you talk about the future of work, the future of work is going to compel uh, different paradigms uh, that absolutely need to be broken today. So that's a lot of that is change management, too. Mm -hmm. uh, but it starts with asking those questions. And I'm actually I didn't tell you this earlier. I'm actually uh embarking on developing a research project at the speaking of intersections the intersection of deib and culture and there are some hypotheses behind it certainly uh, but i'm looking forward to providing 
I think what people need to understand is the argument for uh, breaking some of those current paradigms because it's not working. Right. <laughs> it's not working as well as we need it to. So in the, you, you, I want, and, and this is the other reason I want to have you on the podcast today because culture, <laughs> um, culture is that word where if you talk to executives of a certain age and disposition, and I'm going to go past gender and race on this because it actually winds up being about age and disposition at the end of the day. If you talk to certain executives or managerial leaders, and I'm using that term on purpose, um, about culture, they will be confused. They will actually legitimately not know what you're talking about. However, where I've come down with that and working with those folks and coaching with them and talking with them and training their folks is... Culture is all the stuff that happens while you while you think you're getting a product out the door. It also sometimes includes the product you're getting out the door, but we'll leave that aside for just a minute. It's all the stuff that includes, it's all the stuff that happens around getting that product out the door. And the fact that you can't see it, or the fact that it befuddles you because you're so focused on getting the product out the door, is a real challenge to the people getting the product out the door. <laughs> and... What I'm seeing from the window I'm looking out of, particularly on this great resignation thing, is that, to paraphrase from an old-timey pastor back in the day, as you have just said also, the chickens have come home to roost on culture. I think there were a lot of crappy cultures, mm -hmm. and people just put up with it. At the entry level, the mid-management level, people just put up with it. There's a lot of crappy cultures, and people just put up with it because they put work in a box. And what happened with COVID was the boxes, and I do think about it in psychological terms somewhat, but the boxes of the hierarchies all collapsed together into one. And now there's, there's psychological and material confusion because human beings, you talked about, you talked about complexity, human beings like real simple heuristics because our brains don't like chaos, like at all. A certain part of our brains Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's, that's correct. A certain part of our brains. Yes. There's other parts of our brains that are just fine with it, but the certain part of our brain that's not Where fine with it. We let that dominate, right? So we don't yeah. access the most creative, most innovative, most experienced and talent, talented part of us because right. exactly what you're talking about. Right. Well, and the part that doesn't like chaos is the oldest part in there. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, been, it's been running things for a long time. I work a lot with leaders on how to acknowledge uh, that and make, uh, they call that self-management when it comes to EQ, right? So to be mm -hmm. able to be self-aware enough to acknowledge when it's happening and to choose a different path, mm -hmm. take some discipline to do that. But just to respond to what you were saying about culture, I mean, the way I phrase it, it's the thing behind everything. Okay. And, um, and just because you don't understand it or you don't talk about it or you ignore it doesn't mean it's not there it's and not that there. it's not affecting things, right? It's like um, air. It is, absolutely. Air. <laughs> but, you know, and, and you think about, you go through any sort of interview process, uh, it comes up every freaking time, mm -hmm. right? And the reason why I wrote my first book, Culture Your Culture, Innovating Experiences at Work, was because it was born out of this frustration that... Everyone talks about these archetypes of what's good and bad culture. We all instinctively know that, mm -hmm. but no one spoke about it or did anything about creating the capacity 
to design, implement, uh, and sustain culture. And you talk about intentionally, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so that's why I created my framework, Design of Work Experience, to provide that step-by-step how-to for culture so that we can build that capability, that muscle, uh, not just for leaders, by the way. Anybody can have the capacity. And that's the other problem. You talk about things happening to us. Culture is, and this is my argument, culture is far more accessible to us than we realize. And my book is there to help equip people to be able to affect that. Um, so, so there are some, speaking of shifting mindsets, these are the things like, and by the way, you know, best practice is not, is a little bit wrong for everybody. Instead of being right for everybody, it's a little wrong for everybody. Right. And, right. and there are yeah. a lot of people that feel this way as well. It's just not enough of us. Yeah. Yeah. But we need to have context driven interventions to having cultures that are uniquely created and sustained by the people that make up an organization, right? Uh, and so we talk about how do we create workplaces where both business and people thrive. I believe the key to that is culture. I agree. I think the, <laughs> uh, and I think the other piece of this that stymies us is scale. Scale becomes a real problem. Um, so the average fortune 500 company, um, where the CEO is making $50,000 a month is, and, and, and it's multinational usually, mm -hmm. um, they have all the problems of a small country. And I don't think that we think about it in those kinds of terms. We're starting to turn the corner on that. And, and it, of course it's starting with a negative where, you know, we all want to, <laughs> I'm going to frame it this way. Everyone on Twitter wants to tell Elon Musk what to do with the money that's in, that's in oh, Tesla. God. Like everybody wants to tell Don't him get what me to do started. Yeah, I know, I know. But everybody wants to tell him what to do with the money, right? Or everybody wants to tell Jeff Bezos what he should do with his like stock, stock money, right? His, his, his stock profits, right? We could have a conversation about whether or not that's moral to tweet at Jeff or moral to tweet at Elon and yell at them about what they're spending their money on. We can have that conversation. But fundamentally, at the end of the day, well, not fundamentally, what's happening is the mindset shift you're talking about, where we are starting to perceive these corporations at scale as being kind of like nation state actors, which is interesting for us. I mean, they already, right, they already behave like nation state actors in many kinds of ways. And so in those kinds of organizations, uh, th things like culture do become something that leaders are very, and I'm picking on the CEO right now for a whole variety of reasons, but like they do become something that the CEO is blind to because how can a president know the culture of a country? They can barely manage the culture of, you know, their, their staff team. Forget the country, like forget that. That's that's way too far away. Can't deal with it. Can't can't do it. You know, you got you got a new you got you have very few tools in your toolbox to deal with that, right? You can either and we've seen this in nation states, right? This is the parallel I'm drawing. So you could be a totalitarian. We've seen that <laughs> in your in your corporation at scale. You can be a um, you could be really open and loosey goosey. We've seen that, right, with borders and boundaries. 
Um, or you can do the really hard work, and we kind of explored that this month in the American Nation State Papers. You can do the really hard work of acknowledging the tensions and trying to counterbalance them and trying to compromise them and recognizing that you will fail and being okay with that. You will fail to navigate those tensions well. That's up there, though. Downstream from all of that, my concern is the average person doesn't separate out Amazon from the from how Amazon is run mm. from the corner bodega. They just don't. They just it's the same thing for them because work is still at a conceptual level this thing that happens over here outside of my life. It's external from me rather than something that is internal to me until I go and interact with this brand or this business or these people. That is a deeply philosophical challenge that our podcast is trying to wrap our arms around through literature. Yeah. We're trying to wrap our arms around through that because I think that's also part of that culture nut. If we could crack, not even crack, if we could put some daylight in some of that, we could grow an entirely different paradigm. You talked about paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. We could grow an entirely different paradigm in the world. So the question becomes... I'm going to make this very small and manageable because there's a lot of things there. We've no, I have so many things to say to just what you just said. Oh, I know. I, I know you do. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a question then you can jump back. And then oh, okay. Okay. Go so ahead. Here's a, here's a question. <laughs> what are the best human skills other than mindset change and um, wrangling your, you know, your biological amygdala, you know, telling your amygdala to shut up. <laughs> um, other than that, what are the basic human skills that, um, a person in a leadership position or a managerial leadership position would need to possess to lead others. Cause I don't think we're going to overthrow leaders for quite some time. I think we're still going to have that dynamic. Um, that's like hunter gatherer stuff, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we'll all move to like a flat Zappos kind of well, Tony Shea kind of ideal. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. What are you seeing? So what, what are the human skills? What are you seeing? And then a response to just everything I just got a document dumped oh on you Oh, my gosh. There's so much. There's so much to say. <laughs> and by the way, we could have a part two of this interview. We'll bring you back because I, I, yes. I am document dumping a whole bunch of stuff on you right now. And we only have a limited amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll do what we can in this one because there's just this is such a – obviously, what you just said shows the complexity behind it. So I'll just respond right. to some things um not necessarily in order let me just say that the best ceos are the ones that do recognize and understand the role that culture and their people play there is mm -hmm. no ceo without a workforce they cannot do the job on their own correct right okay so without their workforce without the people and and by the way yes it is in our nature to i think create these shortcuts on how we structure things and that's mm -hmm. kind of where you're talking about leadership I do believe there's always room for leadership. I think that leadership is accessible uh, to to everyone on the hierarchy. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that that's another bit and piece there. And you talk about you know the scale piece, and I talk I write about this as well, and and incorporate it in my work is uh, the reason why it feels so disjointed right now is because the connections, the integration isn't happening between mm -hmm. the individual and the team and the organization scales. Yep. That's that's the work I do with my clients is to bring that closer together yeah. and connect them because right now they're they're disjointed either cultural islands or um, people aren't making the connections in their brains even. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you talk about nation states. Um, 
and and you mentioned about the U, the context of the U.S. We're struggling right now because we haven't we we've lost sight in the U.S. about what our culture is. We are oh yeah. There's a lot of subcultures mm. that are elbowing that we're, we're that are in conflict with each other right now, and it's mm. because there are some aspects that should be fundamentally shared, and they're not. And right. so. If I if I had my magic wand, I would actually dedicate some work. And by the way, we're not we're what's going on is a whole ton of debate, maybe some discussion, uh, and definitely not enough dialogue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, I agree so with that. Yeah, I think the again perfectly designed for current results. What's going on in our country today mm-hmm. is because we've created the conditions for it. We need to create different conditions. So I've kind of been trying to explore. And we talk about time to read books is I'd like to really get more into um, reconciliation as a concept and, and certainly dialogue uh, to begin with, because we need to teach those skill sets so that we can all leverage the best out of that. Um, so that's what's going on, in my opinion, my humble opinion. Um, and I think uh, to answer your question around what are the best human skills? And I'm again not alone in this is empathy, mm-hmm. because our inability to see things from other perspectives is hamstringing us really bad today. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So a leader, if they lack the understanding, and it's been a long time sometimes since they, and I, I see this with actually, um, there are certain companies where the founders have never worked for somebody. Mm-hmm. And they lack the understanding of what it's like to be employed and helping. And I always talk to people about this. It's like they're helping you create your dream or make your dream come true, right? That's that's the choice that you make when you decide whether to go independent or to work for somebody else. Are you gonna are you gonna make your own dreams come true, or are you gonna help somebody um, fulfill their dreams? Mm-hmm. And so I think we really lack. Uh, we we have the ability to have empathy we're not accessing that part of our brain so that's and and it's you asked about skill the skill is actually accessing we have it we're hard-coded to have it it's just oh yeah it off <laughs> right well i don't think i'm a big fan of um i'm not a big fan i'm I don't say fan is probably a terrible term I've, I've done a lot of looking into jonathan height's work um on the social psychology of all of this and just sort of how, and I always mention Twitter at least once on the podcast or twice. That's okay. So I, 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 I doom do. scroll with the best of them. So. Oh my gosh. Well, I had to leave. I, I had to leave. I had to go away. I was like, I can't. I'm done. I'm done with all of you. <laughs> Goodbye. I'm no out. offense to you out there. <laughs> <laughs> no, offense. no offense to you or anything. If you're tweeting, that's fine. It just, I spent eight years in there. And I didn't change the platform. The platform changed me. And I didn't like the changes that were in me. Mm. I didn't like the things that were showing up in my life. You talk mm-hmm. about empathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't like the lack of empathy. I didn't like the hot feeling of anger that I was getting when I did a, you know, a, a, a take. And then somebody, or a tweet, back when it was 140 characters. You know, back in the day. <laughs> you know, before like it expanded and whatever. I didn't like that feeling anymore. There yeah. wasn't. There wasn't a sense of catharsis. There wasn't a sense that I had actually 
made an impact or made a change. And I don't want to be intellectual about this. It was very emotional. No, it's because it's a debate platform. People right. aren't trying to. So what happens in debate is everyone shows up with their own agenda and they're trying to force everybody into that one single point of view. Right. And you can't. And you can't. Right. Well, and there's a lot of areas in your in life in general where that sort of mode of communication doesn't work. That's why just to plug another book out there, and this is a book podcast, is um, I reference conversations worth having a lot. My, I, uh, I know Jackie Stavros and Sherry Torres, and they, they have taken appreciative inquiry mm -hmm. and provided ways to help us have better conversations, One, ones that are more driven by possibility, connection, and meaning mm -hmm. um, than those that don't come that 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 don't come without dialogue right so uh, conversations worth having appreciative inquiry highly influential to me um there's also a framework called soar which is mm -hmm. different than swat you know soar is strengths opportunities aspirations results these are a, these are frameworks for strategic conversations that create possibility and bring these ideas to life so it's more of what we want and less about what we don't want. And that's the mindset shift that has been socialized out of us as we've grown up. Because mm -hmm. if you look at the way kids behave, and now I get this, I get this front row seat to my almost five-year-old. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I right? got one of them running around my house, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and and I'm, we're going to do our darndest to leverage the best of that natural mindset. We're all born with it, that the natural curiosity, um, the ability to see different mindsets and perspectives. I mean, we just socialize ourselves out of it as we grow up. And and now as adults, mm -hmm. then then it's, it creates work for us, right? We got to work back toward yeah. uh, training ourselves to reframe um, and practice new behaviors and we got to create new habits because if we only do it temporarily it's not going to stick yeah well and it's also a narrowing um not to go too far down this road because there's another question i want to ask you in relation to talent development on this well maybe this kind of dovetails in i'm going to pull on mark maron and talk out loud while i'm thinking oh that works for me yeah, i'm going to pull <laughs> mark maron what the heck why not talking the npr voice uh, <laughs> this is the leadership NPR. <laughs> this is this is the leadership NPR. That's exactly what this is. Um, you talk about being children, right? So children are 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 broadly full of, um, and this is why we love children. Children are broadly full of possibility, and then what happens over the course of time is possibility narrows because fundamentally, in a world with too much, too many opportunities and too many choices. Um, you have to make a choice. And by the way, that looks different in every time frame, right? So people in the 1950s thought they had too many choices. <laughs> I know looking back on it, we don't think that because we're, we are, as John McWhorter, the linguist infamously says, you know, we are very presently oriented. We are, we are, we only exist here well, and now. Well, the, the, the I would argue, a, I would argue we're too future focused. Sometimes we are not paying attention to the present. Well, the, the, the past is a country that we don't go to anymore. Like, we don't know who lives there. We don't go there. Well, we're not <laughs> learning from it, certainly. Correct. <laughs> oh, <laughs> gosh, no. Please, no. Uh, we don't We don't go there. We don't know what they do there. We're not interested. Okay. 
however, I am firmly convinced, I've said this before in a different podcast that I host, that if my grandma had had, had been able to order, you know, toilet paper off of Amazon in 1913, she would have ordered toilet paper off of Amazon in 1913. <laughs> so it's not the Twitter. It's not the Amazon. It's the, and you keep going back to this as well. It's the human being, right? The yeah. human skills, right? And so there is a narrowing that occurs to close the ellipsis on my point. There's a narrowing that occurs from childhood to adulthood. It's a narrowing of possibility because you have to make choices because you can't do everything. You have a limited amount of energy, limited amount of time, limited amount of bandwidth. And what has to happen, if I'm hearing you correctly, and I, I, I do fundamentally believe this as well, is as you narrow and focus, then you also have to build more in. And it's actually, a, it's, it's a, I'm making a hand motion on the video version of this, <laughs> the audio version of this. I'm going to describe where our hands are going. Um, so your hands are, you know, you're, you're going coming up a together. They're coming together in a, in a pyramid shape. You're going up a mountain, but then what you don't, what no one tells you is once you get to the top of that mountain, there's a bunch of other mountains that are around and there's, and you're at the bottom of a new mountain, right? Uh, so the parallel I draw is when you graduate high school. When you graduate high school as a senior in the traditional sort of way of thinking about high school in America, mm-hmm. you're at the top of that mountain. You know, you, uh, you figured out the system. You're at the top of that mountain. And be there people coming in, but you're not paying attention to them because they're at the bottom. But then guess what? You, in, in literally a day, <laughs> you go from being at the top of the mountain to being at the bottom of another mountain. <laughs> and no one tells people who graduate high school this. No one tells a teenager this, right? Maybe their parents might, but very rarely does this happen. And I think we, I don't think we've done a good job as a society or a culture of, at a, a broad base level, but even an organizational level, um, of recognizing when people get to the top of the mountain, but also commensurately telling them, guess what? There's more new challenges here. Mm. There are a few organizations that do that. And those are the ones that we really like that innovate repeatedly over and over again. But the vast majority of organizations and tragically the vast majority of leaders don't tell people that. Well, it's not part of our, it's not part of our education. Oh no. And even that's getting compromised right now, but we teach book smart. Okay. And, and like I said, that's even being questioned right now. But we 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 graduate students that are not always prepared uh, for the complexities and the dynamics of the workplace. And I, I see this directly. Um, and, and, you know, I'd like to share that it's my perspective that that narrowing happens too much. I, I do a lot of executive coaching and a lot of the work I do is about helping people get past their own self limitations. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they take it. We all do. I'm not saying mm-hmm. us versus them. We all take our, we, we self limit actually. Mm-hmm. And, and so we, we lose sight of the possibilities oftentimes. Mm-hmm. And you and I spoke about this before we hit record. Sometimes the difference between me and anybody else is that I just happen to keep going. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, so those are things that the ability to see and understand those without these um, self limitations or, uh, and the part of our brain that's always about fight or flight, um, the ability to see beyond that and to, to tap into 
um, the best of our abilities is not always there. So I, I, I do hear what you're saying, but I, I do feel like we've actually gone too far in some mm. respects. And and now we, again, we have to backtrack. Yeah. We got to work on breaking out of these old habits and creating new ones. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be a wild next 250,000 years. That's just my perspective. I, I, I think it's going to be wild. <laughs> we're about a, we're about a grain of, uh, in the sand. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, but while we're here, I want to make the impact that we can, right? Right. We don't know. It's all interconnected from, from my perspective. We don't know what it could lead to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I also, I, I've had people on this podcast who have talked about artificial intelligence um, and sort of the machines that we're building. Um, and I have my own thoughts on that. I, I'm not necessarily bringing that into the conversation at any, at any at any a deeper level than to say this. Um, I don't believe we're going to build Terminator. I don't think we can actually for a whole variety of scientific and mathematical and engineering reasons. I don't think we can. I think that's a really talk about climbing a mountain. That's a really hard mountain to climb. And what's interesting is (laughs) the more people who try to climb that mountain are telling us they're falling off. They're telling us how hard it is all over the place. If you know where to go look. Um, MIT Technology Review is a good place to go look for some of that information. Um, and you teach at Stanford. I'm sure that you've got folks at Stanford that are that are that are doing this. I'm right. I know there are. Yeah. Um, but we are building machines, and this is my concern, that we will we will outsource the and you've used this word repeatedly, and I will reference it again. We will outsource complexity to the machine. And we do this already, by the way, in a whole variety of different ways underneath the surface. But I again not worry my alarm bell goes off and i go okay the complexity that we're outsourcing i think it's the busy work it's the left brain busy work it is um in order to more perfectly realize the right brain creativity work and i'm using old school paradigms i know but i'm trying to make it as broadly accessible as possible in language Mm -hmm. for folks I wonder if, and this is a literary podcast, so I'm going to reference this. I wonder if, uh, I think it was Dostoevsky predicted that if we could build the world perfectly, we wouldn't be happy. And now he was a Russian, so he was depressed anyway. But well, I was going to say, that's, a, yeah, that's not a very appreciative mindset. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's a deficit-driven mindset. <laughs> Well, Dostoevsky was, well, I mean, there you go. (laughs) What are you going to do? But, um, you know, and he he thought that we would literally kick over the whole thing just to have chaos because we need it at a a fundamental. He would frame it as a spiritual level because he was also a Russian Christian. So he would he would frame it at a spiritual level. But he but I'll frame it at a psychological level. We need it psychologically because the left brain can't just atrophy. It can't just not come up with complexity. It can't just not engage in the world. Well, I think we <sighs> and all I, have- that's sort of that's one of my check marks where I kind of go, mm, maybe. Maybe we should start building better human beings instead of building better, <laughs> better algorithms. I say there's a yes and in there somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the chaos comes from our choices. Right. Yeah. Right. So even if we live in the most repressive of societies, we always have a choice. Viktor Frankl taught us that. Correct. Yep. So that's maybe where some of the chaos comes from because we're mm. not necessarily tapping into our own wisdom. 
we're creating that chaos. That's my philosophical take on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do feel like if we're talking, like, let's just yeah get to that future of work, this dynamic between technology and people, I think there's space for both. We just have yeah. to learn to define what that relationship looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, responsibly, mm-hmm. yes. Responsibly, I, I'm, I'm very much the and Jeff the Goldblum. Better. Well, I'm very much the Jeff Goldblum Jurassic Park guy. You were so worried about whether or not you could, you didn't stop to think about whether or not you should. <laughs> yeah, I like that line. I really like. That <laughs> I love line. that line. I, yeah. I, I hear it every every time. Every time somebody, like there was some story the other day about some AI driven chess playing machine that like broke in china i think it was yes that, and like, it hurt the boy's hand it broke hurt the boy's finger. hand right and i'm like so you couldn't plan for that <laughs> again this is one of those okay cool we built the dinosaur and now it's eating us um i you know the greatest uh actually there's a great example of of this in the orville do you watch the orville uh, so I don't trust Seth MacFarlane, just um, fundamentally, and, you know. Like I don't family, everything. Fa- family guy and I, we we got off the boat with each other. Gosh, back back about season four of that show. Well, <laughs> and I just don't trust him. I see them as two very different types of creations. So I okay, encourage you right. to check it out because okay. they do they do actually hit upon a lot of really important social issues. Whether or not you agree with him, sure. the fact is, you know raising the the challenges and the and the philosophical questions i think mm-hmm. is very important for all of us to think about yep um so you talk about this i think there is room for both i think we need to be more intentional and more values driven around it mm-hmm. um i think i think the advancement of technology requires us to uh skill ourselves differently where humans um have the of the greatest impact so we mm-hmm. should fill in spots that technology can't mm-hmm. um i think we're all about creating meaningfulness and positive impact that that really is you know it's interesting because i'm going to put this all in context and i know our conversation is no. kind of going all over the place because we have great. so many shared interests <laughs> this is great um, no, this is fabulous. you go back to you go back to um you know uh george floyd and I, I very much struggled during that period of time because it reminded, it wasn't that it was the first time, it reminded us again, right, that we all have the capacity to, to um, do evil. And, and it's very easy for us to say us versus them, but I, I've kind of switched off between, at that time, I was switching off between trying to understand this whole concept of evil, and there's a number of books uh, psychologists have written around it. Mm-hmm. But the, the point is, we're all capable of it. It's easy for us to say, that's not me, that's them, but we all have the capacity. And so um, we need to understand that we all have the responsibilities and we have the choices that we make. Um, and, and so that's the same thing when it comes to the future of work. We can choose to shape it for the better, which i that's the part of the camp I'm, I'm in, obviously. Mm-hmm. Or we can allow it to happen to us in a way that um, is not going to be beneficial to everybody. And I wrote a blog piece on um, the, the meta aspect of future work because people think it's technology and work and that's it. There's, there's things like migratory patterns and climate change that affects the future of work as well. And, and it's really important for us to have that holistic view and educate ourselves on, on what aspects of it. And let's, let's bring this 
down to practical purposes for individuals. All right. Mm -hmm. The future of work, um, as far as I'm concerned in the workplace is about creating um, better and better workplaces. It is not about hybrid. Okay. It's about autonomy and empowerment so that people can do uh, that you can leverage the best of people's abilities. You can leverage and grow them actually as, as, as important assets as they are. So I, I feel like if we're going to bring this down to our day-to-day lives, the future of work is saying, we got to make sure that where we integrate um, technology is it's connected. We understand that relationship with the human side of things. And, and we're not doing enough of that thinking. What we're doing is, ooh, shiny new tool. And I'm guilty of this too. That's cool. I'm going to sign up for it instead of stopping and pausing and thinking about it, right? I think there that all these, oh, you mentioned the social media platforms. I think they had very lofty goals in the beginning, right? Um, you hear about Meta, right? They want to connect the world, right? And, and those are lofty goals, but we have a lot of unintended consequences of that work. And again, something we don't pause and think about. So that mindfulness, right? You talk about you know, we're, we only live in the here and now. Actually, we don't enough. We don't pause and think. And we don't say, what are the um, intended and unintended benefits and consequences? What are the, what are, and this is what I'm talking about in terms of mindsets. What else could happen? <laughs> That's a really good question to ask yourselves, people. What else could happen? Um, and and you want to be able to get the positive outcomes of what you're doing and stay away from the flip of that, right? So so I think we need to do a lot more of this kind of conversation. We need to do a lot more intentional cho- choice uh, and, and uh, certainly education. You asked about training earlier. I, I kind of put that in the same boat as education. Yeah, yeah. We're turning the corner here. <laughs> you got to go. We're turning the corner here. Um, thoughts on talent development, um, or, or maybe not development, but uh, one of the areas, this will be my last sort of formalized question, and we can talk a little bit about staying on the path, what leaders need to do in order to stay on the path. But a question before that for you. Uh, talent optimization um, is sort of a space where you're in. Mm-hmm. That's not something that I mess in because for a whole variety of different reasons, but the biggest one in, in, in our, you know, consultancy work that we do, um, the biggest one is, I think it's, I think there's so many complicated and complex dynamics that occur before talent, which is a human being, shows up to pick your work to do, to pick your dream that they are going to support. And then you either as a leader individually or you as an organization at scale, uh, hammer and mold that person (laughs) ruthlessly and relentlessly. Or you can partner with them. Or you could partner with them. But (laughs) the window I look out of is a lot of hammering and ruthless hammering going on. I'm trying to... And I'm trying to get it to stop, by the way, like but stop ruthlessly hammering, right? That's why the optimization doesn't happen, though. Right. And, and this is my question, right? Right. Um, how do you, if you're stuck in a legacy organization, let me let me lay out a persona, right? I'm a manager leader. I'm stuck in a legacy organization. I'm listening to this and I'm going, Karen and Hassan, that all sounded awesome. But you don't know me and you don't know my pain. Like, 
Uh, I have to deal with I have to deal with these. Well, I I've got this question before. I have to deal with these people that are coming in the door. I don't get to pick them. Uh, you choose every day to show up at your job. Thank you. (laughs) Well, this is the question that I get. And there's a lot of throwing up of hands. Again, we self-limit. We self-limit. I made a choice nine and a half years ago to get off the train and go independent. And this is, guess what? The longest job I've ever had. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No. You're you're getting ready to be an overnight success. It's 10 years. That's what I heard anyway. All right, so I, I, I'm sorry, I interrupted your question. So go. No, it's okay. No, you're fine. You're fine. That that that's where that's where the question ends. The question ends typically to me. It ends with. Yeah, uh, that's all well and good, but what does that mean for me? Right. You know, that's cool that you said that, but I don't work for you, and you don't run this thing. So, like, what are we? The the title of my second book comes came came out of those kinds of conversations. My boss doesn't care. I literally had somebody walk up to me at the end of a training and go, "Hey, son, this is all great stuff. Awesome." Um, it would be great if you were my boss. Actually, I have this quote on the back of the book. It was a pull quote. <laughs> the back oh, of the book, cool. You know, from a workshop participant. This is all great, and it would be great if Hassan were my boss. It would be fabulous to work for him. But my boss, he, he doesn't work here, and my boss doesn't care about any of this. So what are you, how are we going to solve that problem? And by the way, this was a state level, just to sort of frame it, state mm-hmm. level bureaucratic organization. Oh, it happens at every level, people. Oh, it does. It oh, it does. I mean, executives struggle with this stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And so um, when that challenge comes up where the boss doesn't care, I'm guessing the boss cares about something. Oh, yeah. And there's a way, and this is what actually we, we do a little bit of this in my coaching work, is how do you align the interests? And you come from conflict, right? Oh, yeah. So, you know, how do you, how do you align interests? How do you make it a win-win, right? <laughs> yeah. What is the BATNA for that, right? <laughs> the BATNA is... If you let your boss steamroll you, then you got to accept what your boss gives you. And if you don't want that, and BATNA for um, other people is best alternative to negotiated agreement. So that's mm-hmm. your very distant second choice. That's right. Right? Your yep. very distant second choice. So if your second choice is you're just going to have to accept what your boss gives you, uh, even if you don't like it, then uh, you have some motivation to figure out how to align your interests. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the work that I do. And you mentioned talent optimization. It's so important. And again, and you're hearing some themes and everything I'm seeing about the interconnectivity. Mm-hmm. Talent optimization breaks down in certain lo- at, at all at certain places, right? So it's either between person and job, person and boss, person and team, person and organization. Those are some really important connection points, again, a common theme for me, intersection, bridging, mm-hmm. right? That talent optimization needs to be optimized. <laughs> Otherwise, it breaks. You, you lose the potential. You lose the, pa- the talent potentially as well, right? Mm-hmm. You don't leverage the, the best out of them. I and mean, I just commenting, we have, a, we have a shared colleague. He talked about ADHD in the workplace. And, and, and just mm-hmm. let's, let's talk about neurodiversity in general. Yeah. Is there some real great benefits to neurodiversity that people aren't leveraging organizations leveraging right well and and a lot of this i think is because we are at the i mean i said this for many many years but we're we we finally reached the end of the industrial revolution like we finally went as far as that argument can be pushed at least in Mm. the united states we're at the end of it other places that's a different thing but in the united states 
some parts of Western Europe. Um, I would assert Japan, certain parts of Japan, although, in, in, well, certain parts of Japan, I'll just frame it that way. Because I want to, again, I want to be as broad as I possibly can for the purposes of making a narrow point. Um, South Korea, you know, those places where we've gotten into the, where we've gotten into the battle between do human beings do the labor or not the battle, the choice. Do human beings do the labor? Does the algorithm do the labor? And we're, we're, we're increasingly preferring the algorithm over the human being. Um, well, I think manufacturing or digital, what are we creating? Right. What are we creating? Right. And I think we're at a space that Henry Ford could never have imagined. He didn't, he would never have imagined that it would have worked out as well as it did. And now we're done. And so there has to be something new. Well, that's interesting that you say that because I happen to be exchanging messages with somebody who's very different on the political spectrum than myself. Mm -hmm. And we both agreed that there is an opportunity here with the supply chain issues for us to oh, consider yeah. making more in America, manufacturing more, mm -hmm. being a little bit more. Um, yeah, but it's not going to look like it's not going to look like the not going to look like the way it was. No. You know why? Because the context is different. The conditions are different, right? So no matter what we do, we have to always consider the context. And that's why um, these, you know, these hammers, mm -hmm. however people want to use them in their organizations, won't work because you lack the nuances that make every organization unique. And that's why my framework was all about how do you understand your context deeply so that you can be able to create the solutions that actually will have a positive impact, right? Um, and and so you have to start with the present. In fact, you you know you have to know what's your baseline. Where are you today, deeply, and where do you want to go? And it's like a the analogy I give a lot of the times is it's like a GPS. How do you know the directions unless you know where you are and where you want to go? And again, because we shortcut these things with our reductive thinking, we say. Ooh, that company, and it used to be Google, not anymore so much, but used to be like, oh, cool, Google did that. We're going to do it, and it's going to work in the same way for us. And it never does, right? Because the contexts are different. So that's why I'm saying we're talking about scaling up for the future of work is building capabilities that are transferable. I'm, I'm big on learning agility, which is what do you do when you don't know what to do? It's a really big prerequisite to innovation and our ability to innovate. Uh, but these are things we're, we're just not tapping into things that we already know what to do, how to do. We just don't use it. How <clears throat> do we stay on the path as leaders? Because we are now at the end of our time together. We've we've talked about a lot of things very broadly, and we'll have Karen back because we've got to do a deep dive into these little I call them yeah buckets, you know, we could go like, all day we could do uh, this all day <laughs> each one of those buckets is like well we'll have you back we'll do a six hour I, the <laughs> longest podcast i've ever known the longest episode i ever did was four and a half hours with somebody okay with bathroom breaks please <laughs> yeah we can go bathroom breaks in. we'll just we'll just pause and no one will notice it's a podcast good lord <laughs> digital <laughs> um we don't we we don't pay for airtime <laughs> isn't that great same thing it with is. photos right no more film to develop no more yeah. phones yeah exactly um, what, final thoughts, what do we do to, if, if I'm a leader listening to this, if I'm a, a manager in a mid-major organization, yeah. um, listening to this because I like books, I like literature, um, and I'm liking the way Hassan's thinking and I want to know more, 
what do I do to stay on the path? What would yeah. Karen tell me if she were had a, had a, had a chance to drive by coach me? Drive by coach. <laughs> Um, I happen to think that the future work will have some element of on-demand when it comes to the fields of coaching and consulting. I agree with that. That's a side note. Um, but if I were to do a drive-by coaching on a leadership side, is as much as I talk about changing context and understanding complexity, I don't want that to be confused with changing your leadership style um, in ways that actually step away from what you want to be known as. Okay. So I work with a lot of the people I coach, the leaders I coach are about, I ask them, what do you want to be known for as a leader? Um, what values are driving your leadership? Uh, we need to get back to being more values-based, um, not only in leaders, but in organizations as well. And in our society, because values are what we share. Everything else should be leveraged as diversity. So if I were to tell a leader, what should I do to stay on the path is really narrow down to your core values as a leader and make sure that however you lead every day is consistent with that set of values. Because people, your people are watching you. And if what you say is different than what you do, it's not building any trust right? And leaders need followership. If you want your followers to go with you to the ends of the earth, then you got to be able to have their trust. And the way you do that is to be able to live by your values. So I hope that answers your question, but I feel very strongly about values-based leadership and I don't think we talk enough about it. We, we frame it as uh, closing the gap, you know, uh, closing the gap between what you say and what you mm -hmm. do. And every day as a leader, your job, regardless of anything else you may think your job is, your job is to close that gap. Not necessarily in other people's perceptions, although it will flow to that, but closing the gap in yourself between what you internally believe and what you externally manifest. Well, again, you're a conflict guy, you know. Oh, yeah. Conflicts are mismanaged agreements. That's where they come from. And... That sometimes it comes from communication where intent does not match impact. That's correct. <laughs> yes, <laughs> intent does not match impact. Yes, I will agree with you about that. It does not. Right. And very often we confuse people's interest with venality of character. Mm. And we have to be careful of that. Again, reductive thinking, right? And correct. So this, is how we, this is how we get to a post-racial world is we get to know the people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We we can come back and have a discussion about because oh, I hear that term and I go, let's have a discussion about that because that's an interesting term. I want to I want to talk a little bit more about that because I have some thoughts on that. Well, but. that being said, you you know we've had these conversations before. Oh, yeah. How important our cultural identities are to who we are. Absolutely. Right. Yes. Um, exactly. Yep. And it is this tension you talked about tension um, a lot in the podcast today. The tension between who we are and who the group is. Um, the tension in our own hearts between. Um, huh, good and evil. And I'm glad you brought that up because most people don't like that word. It makes them feel icky. But that tension between good and evil, right? Um, I'm, I'm studying, I'm doing a whole course on ethics now, not because I need to be more ethical, but because this is interesting. You have to understand to the nature of it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, and we're all capable of go doing good as much as we are of doing evil. evil. Yes, absolutely. That's right. I want to balance um, that. <laughs> we read, um, we read the Gulag Archipelago or selections from the Gulag Archipelago um, on this mm. podcast. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn 
wrote about all of that. Um, Vaclav Havel and Power of the Powerless, um, Eli Weisel, and of course you mentioned Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. Have you covered uh, Pedagogy of the, the Oppressed? Not yet. We have not oh, covered I that yet. I would add that to your list, yes. We have not covered that yet. That was very seminal to me in my education, so. Okay, okay. Well, thank you, Karen, for coming on the podcast. It's been um, a pleasure. Always a pleasure to have you. We will have you back. This felt like it was too short, and it was. Um, yeah, it was. <laughs> we didn't really. We, we, we covered a lot of things very broadly, um, and um, and I would like to get into, kind of narrow into some things. Um, so we'll have you back because I really want to talk about culture, the talent optimization piece, and, of course, DEIB. There's some, there's some thoughts I have around there. So many. So many. Um, you know. And I think there's so much more we could talk about around the future of work as well. But I hope that, you know, I, I love fly on the wall conversations personally. Yeah. And you're somebody I would, you know, just as much record a podcast with as I would, you know, have happy hour with as well. So absolutely. Well, thank you very much for coming on the Leadership Lessons from the Great Books podcast today. I really do appreciate it. Yes. And well, it was a pleasure being here. I was very grateful for the invitation. So thank you. We'll, we will we look forward to having you back. <laughs> Me too. And there goes Karen Jaw Madsen. Please check her out and everything that she is doing, all the work that she's doing, all the writing, all the advocacy, the consulting, the coaching, and the development work. You can check her out on LinkedIn, and we will, of course, have links to her book, have links to her LinkedIn profile, have links to all the places where you can have Karen show up for you to help you and lead your organization to a future that is more optimized than the present. The complexity of the modern world and the complexity of the world that lays ahead of us is enough to flummox any leader. And in order to stay on the path, leaders have to wrestle. They have to wrap their arms around. They have to, in some cases, battle complexity. One of the things that Karen said really stuck with me on the podcast today. She talked about how complexity and connection both sort of kind of link together. In the context of sports or in the context of relationships, connection really matters. And in the context of leadership, it matters even more. Leaders and followers, organizations and cultures, nation states and individuals who live inside of those nation states this is a dynamic tension that will never go away. The future is indeed going to be shaped by this dynamic tension and how leaders face that tension, navigate that tension, and in many cases live with that tension will be what creates the difference between futures we can live with and prosper in and futures that may look more may resemble more the dystopian fiction that we all fear and dread. Once again, thank you for listening and for watching on the YouTube channel, the Leadership Lessons from the Great Books podcast. Please take time to like and share this podcast everywhere where you like and share podcasts. And of course, leave a review for us. And with that, I'm out.
listen and subscribe to the Leadership Lessons from the Great Books podcast on all the major podcast players that you listen to, including iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and of course, Spotify. And leave a five-star review if you like the Leadership Lessons from the Great Books podcast. Look, we need those reviews to grow, and it's the easiest way that you can help us actually grow this show. And of course, tell all your friends. If you want to get started down the leadership path, uh, our products at, from HSCT Publishing can help you and your team do that. So check out our training webinars, our coaching services, and more at leadershiptoolbox.us. And check out our video-based subscription service at leadingkeys.com. We've got books that will help you and your team grow. So pick up a copy today of My Boss Doesn't Care, 100 Essays on Disrupting Your Workplace by Disrupting Your Boss. And subscribe to the Little Red podcast we launched earlier this year with the same name as this Little Red book, My Boss Doesn't Care. 100 Essays on Disrupting Your Workplace by Disrupting Your Boss. And of course, pick up my most recent book, 12 Rules for Leaders, The Foundation of Intentional Leadership, written with Bradley Madigan. You're going to want to pick up a copy of that in April 2022. And you can get both of these books in paperback, hardcover, or as ebooks on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and any other place you order books on demand. Finally, we are on YouTube, or I'm on YouTube, or someone around here is on YouTube. So like and subscribe to the video version of the Leadership Lessons from the Great Books podcast on the HSCT Publishing channel on YouTube. Just search for HSCT Publishing on YouTube and hit the subscribe button to get updates every single time we upload a new video, which we do that at least once a week. And subscribe to the Hassan Sorrells Presents Audio Experience podcast Yes, I have three podcasts on YouTube where I talk more casually with a wider range of people all about all matters that matter in the world today. Everything from fatherhood to criminal justice, Christianity to artificial intelligence. We cover the entire plethora of things that are floating around in my mind, and that's why it's called an audio experience. All right, well, that's it for me. Out.